You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Thank you for reading and enjoy that in line with the gospel, learning how the gospel frees us, 11 through 21. We're going to pray. We're going to dig in tonight. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Lord, we thank you so much for this night. Thank you for the reading of the word of God, Lord. I thank you for the, what you have given to us. Uh, Lord, how you have had just a brilliant mind using people, uh, Lord, uh, that just have, have intricately put together your words, Lord. And you've done it so beautifully and masterfully for us to have for all of eternity, Lord, and for us to cherish each and every day how you've preserved them, uh, Lord, so we can live and better ourselves in each and every day. I pray that we truly would uh, begin to be uh, a walking in freedom, Lord, learning to live out the gospel, being in line with the gospel in every area of our life. I pray that we would think of the implications of what the gospel means to us, not just as a person living in salvation, uh, Lord, but as a person being a, a married person or a parent or a child, a sibling. Lord, I pray uh, that, that truly the gospel would impact every area of our life, Lord, especially even in our working uh, environment, Lord, or our working area, that you would just uh, truly go for, uh, be with us, Lord, be it tonight. I pray that you would just lead us and direct us, please. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now we have here, if you begin, if you looked a little bit into this in chapter 2, you remember uh, Paul goes originally to Jerusalem to Peter, and now we have a reverse. Now Peter's coming to Paul. So in this, in this meeting here, uh, you have Peter, you have James, you have John, you have Paul, you have Barnabas, you have Titus. Take two more people, Matthew and Mark, and they say, just like uh, in Luke, uh, you know how Luke was the eyewitness to Paul, uh, I've kind of read this and, and studied that one. I never really knew too much of this, but they say Peter, uh, Mark was kind of like the Luke, how Luke was to Paul, Mark was to Peter. And I thought that was kind of neat and interesting. But regardless, these men that are here right now in Antioch literally make up almost the entire New Testament, save two or three books. And so you have, you have a meeting of the minds, if you would. Obviously, Holy Spirit led them all. But these men here, all of, all of them together, and what's going to take place, it's just amazing. And as this chapter unfolds, uh, mind you, we're reading it here on Scripture, uh, but Paul has yet to write this. He's yet to pen this through the inspiration of the, script, or of the Holy Spirit. So they do not have the written gospel down so where they can read it and hear it. The only way they heard of the gospel was when these apostles would preach it and as they would continue to set men in order and to ordain them and to go out before they started getting the scriptures in their, uh, and copied over as Paul would write that. They didn't have that, so we have it now. But go back to a little bit more of that primitive state. Imagine these people all being in one place. I don't know all the, the feelings, the mixtures, the environment, but that's where we're at tonight. Uh, and we're looking at, you might have just finished a couple of weeks ago or whatnot in our Bible reading schedule if you're following the yearly plan into Judges, uh, the ceremonial laws. I, tr I try to pay a little bit more closer attention, I guess, than I have in the past. But uh, I saw different things that were kind of neat, opened up to me. And obviously, God had the ceremonial laws, the, cleanly, the cleanliness laws, the clean laws, to show the people that they were not holy to enter into God's presence. God is a holy and just God. So those ceremonial laws were in place so they could be close to God so they could wash and cleanse themselves. And if you go through uh, Leviticus, man, it's just some, it's just more and more you start realizing, you know, we have a lot of different uh, 
uh, different things that we put in, in, in view that we don't want our kids to watch on TV and whatnot, but have you ever given them this book? Man, this is a deadly book in some areas. You learn a lot. It is, it is not in many ways you go through Leviticus. It's not a PG uh, rating there as you're reading through some of these laws and some of the things that they would, they would do and take place. Uh, but anyways, uh, the need of Leviticus, the need of the ceremonial law, was that sinful people needed to be cleansed to enter his presence. And nothing has changed today. We still need to be a holy people. We need to be cleansed and we need to be holy to God and thoroughly and thoroughly finished as well. But here we see the ceremonial laws. Uh, we see that kind of being accomplished through Jesus. And Jesus in Mark chapter 7, uh, we won't turn there. I'm just going to talk briefly about it, 14 through 23. This is when Jesus is talking, actually trying to get them to understand how the ceremonial laws have gone. And later Peter is shown in a vision. This is Acts chapter 11, also verse 10, and then we're going to skip and we're going to read in verse 15 in a little bit. So if you do want to go to Acts 10, 11, uh, more so verse 15, we're going to read from. But Peter has that vision, that giant sheet falling down from heaven. It literally is a cloth. I, I picture it like a, a, a red and black and white picnic table coming down from sky and just all of the meats are on there. At first, I kind of picture like uncooked meats, like a pig snout on top of that blanket. But I like to picture more so maybe the heavenly smoke fire ring uh, around the meats there. And Peter, as he goes to say, not so, Lord, I'm not going to eat that. God tells him multiple times, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And Peter's not getting it. And finally he does. And he, God says, rise, kill and eat. And we all love that right there. Uh, the killing for me, I'm glad other people do the killing. And honestly, I like it when it's coming through uh, maybe a little bit more processed and I don't have so much of that game flavor. I'm a little bit spoiled, but I like to eat that process right there. I like to rise as well. Uh, but Peter says, oh, I would never do that. And immediately after he sees that vision, uh, God sends him along to a man named Cornelius, a Gentile. And what happens? He gets saved. Peter's mind is blown for the first time. He's realizing the gospel is not just to the Jew, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And he begins to tell people about this, the other Jews. And we have that account in Acts 15. Uh, but before that, in 11 verse 2, he goes on to sit with the Gentiles and he faces criticism. But at the end of 15, 7, uh, 15, chapter 15, 7 and 9, uh, we'll see that Peter declares uh, that God is not a respecter of persons and that God uh, has made all the other nations uh, clean as well. That God has declared uh, no, no one to be unclean. So 15, 7 through 9. And Peter, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, as, uh, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And that's all good news to pretty much everyone in here, because that's the gospel to us, the Gentiles. And now, so that's Peter. He has 
through that dream, through that vision, he was the one to declare them as clean. So keep that. That's important. We're going to get into it. Uh, now we have verse 11 that Paul uh, in Galatians will be in Galatians 2 now. And that Paul withstands him, withstood him to the face. And we're going to begin looking verse uh, uh, 12, 13 to find out how that came to be. Why Paul withstood him to the face. Uh, in verse number 11, we just kind of said that. Verse 12, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. James, he was the main leader of the Jerusalem church there. And so when they came up, uh, this, is the, this is the Jewish people. This is the people that Peter ministered to. They came up uh, with, with, uh, with, with this time. Uh, where are we? Verse 12, and with James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, the, the men of the circumcision, the Jews, he withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas, this is like Paul's right-hand man, Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So now we have a little bit of an issue. Paul, or Peter, back in Acts, he has just made that declaration that there is no one that is unclean. God has cleaned and that we now can have fellowship. We can eat with one another. They're having feasts. They're partaking in uh, Passover meals together. And Peter has his cafeteria tray and he sits down with that group of people. And just then the cool crowd walks in from the back and Peter takes that, does a smooth little spin move, act like nothing just happened and moves away from that table as maybe uh, people like in that, that high school relationship would have been. And Peter now distances himself. But this is, this is pretty neat. This is, uh, we're going to look a little bit into Peter. This might even be some of his insecurities. We see it multiple times in Peter's life. Uh, but verse number 12, uh, after the second half, uh, sidebar, can I do a sidebar here? Uh, looks like the men that came from James, it looks like those men of the circumcision, uh, they came from James from Jerusalem church. Now James, he knows the laws. He knows that God has not called the Gentiles unclean anymore. And yet you see here the people of James, they have left out bringing a bad reproach saying, how do you eat with those people? We are of, of James. That's, you ever knock on any door around this area or talk to somebody and say, oh, Bible Baptist, I don't go, I don't go there anymore. You know, what, you know what they told me there? And they say something and I say, you know what, I've been there for 10 years and we do not believe that. I don't know who told you that, but they were not of Bible Baptists. But you hear it all the time. You hear people uh, that, that put their stamp of, I'm from Bible Baptist or I'm from this place. And I just talked to a pastor uh, uh, just a couple days ago through some things. And he said, I, I have a, a lay leader that is just show, uh, kind of just doing some, creating some extraneous rules and new Christians are leaving the church. And it, it's hard. And they, they're putting that stamp of, well, I am authority of the church and I'm saying some stuff. And it's just kind of amazing how you get some people that just say, well, I am of such and such and here's what you need to do. And they put that stamp of James on them. And we know poor James, he's, he's left alone out of this thing. Uh, he had nothing to do with that and to say that. But these people thought it right to say that as if, and there's many times if pastor wants something done, I'll tell someone, oh, pastor wants that done. And it's just so much easier to say it like that, right? As far as my job in ministry and whatnot. But, but anyways, isn't it kind of funny? That was a little sidebar. Let's get back. These four words, key words, can you see them there? They're kind of differently highlighted there. But number one, what did Peter do? He withdrew. I looked that word up. It means to cower. Wow. 
My voice did the, what that word means. It means to cower and to shrink. Uh, literally as he came, the, the man, the grown man Peter that chopped off a man's ear began to twist and conform and cower. I don't know what more cowering looks like, but he began to do that and slowly take his pork away from that table and eat it somewhere else. I don't even know if they had pork, but he began to cower. Number one, he withdrew, then he separated, kind of one and the same. But then he began to fear. Who did he fear? The circumcision group. And then what do we see here? That they dissembled. Uh, that's the Greek word, uh, hypocrisies, which we don't have to say what that sounds like. That's what we get our word hypocrisy from. And that is a false appearance. Uh, maybe some of you in here have a finer taste of, of uh, the arts. Maybe you like some the theater, maybe you like some plays and dramas. Uh, a lot of those old arts back in the day, uh, they always say some Chinese arts, they would have the two different stages, they would have a mask on. Well, they, had, they acted out, they, they put a false pretense of what was happening. We know what that is. But anyways, that's dissembled. And it was, Peter did it so bad, he cowtailed so much, twisted, so out of there to where all the other Jews in the area said, I don't know what's happening here, but let's stand up and leave too. And so much that Barnabas, who is Paul's pretty much right-hand man, he leaves as well with their dissimulation or with their hypocrisy. So now Paul, he says, I withstood him to the face. This is, we get to read clean, un unadulterated gossip right here. And it's not gossip because it actually happened and Paul wrote it down for us. But we love the juicy, someone chewed someone out. And here's Paul for all of us to read and in front of everybody. He, he rips, he chews out Peter. But interesting enough about Peter, we see that a little bit about his personality type. You know, if you look into trying to discover more of yourself, not in a, in a bad, sinful way as far as different things of looking in at yourself. You know what I mean. When you're trying just to learn yourself, your flaws, your weaknesses, your strengths, you get to know what kind of works well with you. You get to know what doesn't work well with you. But Peter, he had this flaw. He had this tendency that I definitely see in my own life. Uh, a little bit of a people pleaser, a little bit of a what's the, what's the crowd, not necessarily for wrong, but sometimes I won't speak up even in a right manner, as in Peter beforehand, he spoke all of this to the people, and now he's really coming back on his own words. And we see that same exact lifestyle. Remember when Peter, uh, when Jesus told Peter uh, that before the, the, the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times? And what happened with Peter? That same environment. He feared the people and he began to withdraw himself, separate himself. He began to have fear and he began to be a hypocrite, a hypocrite. I don't know anyone else in the room here, but when fear comes in, do we easily withdraw ourselves? Do we easily separate and maybe put a little bit of a, a false pretense in the ear? I don't know if you do, but man, that's, that's definitely, I follow along the lines with Peter many a times. Sadly, I don't follow along with him in his triumphant uh, preaching of Pentecost, but I do follow along with him with his flaw side. That's where I know I resemble some of Peter's flaws there. But uh, Peter allowed here, he really allowed cultural differences uh, to become more important than gospel unity. And we're going to break that down here and we're just diving in. Here's how Paul corrects this. So it's going to be maybe a different, I don't know, you're listening to me before. It's a different preaching style. We're going to get in with it. Listen, smile, nod, uh, Blank out for a little bit, get back in, whatever you need to do to kind of get focused. Verse 14, let's read it. But when I saw, this is Paul, 
He's seen what's happening here. He's now standing up and going to confront Peter to the face. When I saw uh, that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the men of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Let's look at that first half of the verse, and that's what we really want to look into. So Paul used a phrase uh, that, that we have here, walked not uprightly. That is one word in the Greek here that is orthopodio. Can we all say that together? Look, there it is, orthopodio. Uh, you might know what ortho means, orthodontist. Uh, some of you may have had the joy of having braces for six and a half years, in the fifth grade year all the way to your senior year. If that was you, you had a wonderful high school life. And look, they're still crooked. But anyways, I had uh, braces, but went to orthodontist in hopes that they would line up my teeth. My, my, is that dentics? Is that what teeth is? But uh, dentures. But anyways, the, in hopes. But you have uh, you have orthopodio. So ortho is straight. It is it is straight. And podio is that word to walk to straight. To wait, let me look at the words here. You guys got it. It's up there. It means straight. It means straight footed to walk in a straight course. Act in line with the truth. Uh, perhaps if you've ever seen someone maybe look like they're a little bit buzzed or wasted in the end of the night, a police officer pulled them over. What do they have them do? They have them orthopodio. They have them walk in a straight line to make sure that they are not that they are actually able to drink, not able to drink, that they're able to drive. Uh, so here it is. Here's the meaning: not behaving in a manner consistent with the truth of the gospel. So Paul rebukes Peter and says, you are not in line with the gospel. Now, we're going to look into what Peter's sin really was. And we kind of know what it was. He was uh, kind of just like we said, he was allowing that cultural difference to separate him. We can kind of borderline even say pretty much racism right there. But we're going to look in. Paul doesn't necessarily say that, though that is wrong. Paul goes even deeper than that and looks at the fact that Peter was not in line with the gospel. And so we are to, uh, our job is to bring everything in the direction of the gospel. Whatever it is, whatever our thoughts flow, whatever our actions are, our job for the day, we are to bring it in line with the gospel. We are to think out its implications in every area of our lives and bring it unto the gospel. Our feelings, our emotions, our behaviors, uh, they all have to be in line with what is truth. You know, we live in this world and there are so much assumptions, beliefs. We watch stuff, Facebook, and it constantly gets us to be a little bit off kilter. It gets us not to be orthopodio. It gets us naturally, because of the fall of man, to walk maybe a little bit crooked even. And so what Paul is saying here, that we have to bring in all of these worldly views, philosophies, ideas, assumptions, and we have to captivate them, and we have to bring them in line with the gospel. We have to constantly realign ourselves. I don't know about you, but man, I can get the wrong thinking. I can get the wrong attitude, the wrong actions. Why is that? Because we are in the world and we constantly drift aside. And so Paul is saying, bring it back into captivity. Bring it back into line with the gospel. And so that is what we are supposed to do. So Peter's sin, racism, it was, it was basically also nationalism. Uh, he believed that the Jews were basically uh, God's chosen people and that they had to be, in order to be able to become a Christian, they had to become a Jew and continue with that. 
Uh, but much of what Peterson was, I find, is kind of prevalent, at least in my life, and may I dare even say our lives. You know, how are we at doing the same sins of Peter? Uh, how much of this is found in our lives? Uh, maybe, perchance, we look at different people. Maybe let's go scope in our church. Uh, this is the people that generally here on Wednesday nights. You know, do we look differently to a person that doesn't come on Wednesday nights? Do we treat them differently? Do we look better, like more higher, like we are more highly esteemed because we come to the Wednesday evening service? Let's scope out a little bit further. Now we're looking into our area, maybe Yuba City, Marysville, maybe up the hill, maybe uh, the church that they do a great job. They're not like us. Uh, Word of Life Church, they have a van route. I used to always uh, say they're taking our kids. But we look at a church like that and you know what? Maybe they don't Maybe they don't worship like us. Maybe their dress isn't like us. Maybe their music isn't like us. Do we look at them as if we are better off because we have it right? We are better than them. Let's keep on scoping out. So that's how we do, that's how we worship Christ. Do we look at ourselves more highly than others because we walk a a, a finer line, so to speak? What about Christians who've made a road from themselves versus Christians who's had the road paid for them. You ever see someone that they had a hard life all the way through, and then someone just comes by and it just seems like it is given to them. How is our view of that person and vice versa? Sometimes people that have the road paid for them, we always look back and say, I know you used to walk up the hill both ways in the snow and whatever else you want to say, but you know what? We can get an off-kiltered view of one another. What about socially polished Christians versus more awkwardly behaved Christians. We know people like that on either side of the spectrum, right? Maybe we just don't feel comfortable. We'll say hi to them at church, but we definitely ain't gonna sit at that table. You know, we all have people, we all have people that we look at that we say, well, I will be generally nice, but I am not going to have that fellowship. I'm gonna look a little bit differently than them because it's how I view them. After all, I see myself in a different light than I see them. Let's look back more so at the heart of the issue. Christians with different cultural backgrounds or different emphasis than ours. We have people, uh, it's easy for me to say the Spanish community because I married into that, uh, but it's easy to look at different things and say, well, they don't start on time. If we are from a, a culture, a background that is timely, that is precise, that has schedule, that has habits, we can look and say, I don't know how those people do it. I don't know how they do anything in their life. They just show up whenever they want to. And then on the flip side, the other people can say, man, they're always just so tight wound. They always sold. And no matter what you do, you have these cultural differences like Peter had. And good night, before you know it, we're not even living the gospel. What is the gospel? That we are all freed in Christ. That we are all brothers and sisters with one another. That is what Paul is trying to get Peter to understand that he has stepped away from the, from, the, from the truth of the gospel. And we are not in line with the gospel when there is a disdain in our hearts towards any class of people, any group of people, or even any personality of people. i tell you one thing. I think I can say I have love for all of my brothers and sisters, red, yellow, black, brown, white. They are precious in God's sight and are mine. But you start talking about that personality class, Whoo, there's some personalities that I'll tell you what, instantly it's just, there's a, there's a shriek. And can we all kind of say in here in the room, you know, there's, there's a feeling that sometimes we don't enjoy some brothers and sisters and you name the reason, but 
Can we also realize that that is not in line, that is not in truth with the gospel? Can we also equally say that just like there's people that we think that we don't like, can we realize that there's a lot more people that probably don't like us than who we don't like in other people? And so recognizing that our, our, our different, recognizing that things that we don't have or do have, they're just differences. Uh, there are differences instead of believing that our style or our custom of spiritual worship or anything else, uh, and if we, if we realize that they're just differences and not something that, and obviously I'm not talking about, when I, when I zoomed out, there's, every, there's obviously some false churches. We're not, we're not lumping them in the category. Those that call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, when we get to heaven, we'll say, oh, I lived two minutes from you this whole time. Here we are in heaven. Those are the people we're talking about. Uh, there's an off, off-putting joke. It's not a bad joke or rude joke, but it's a hurtful joke. I won't say it, but I am saying it right now. Uh, it is, uh, you're walking through heaven, you see all these rooms, and there's, there's laughter, there's, there's, there is joy, there's eating, there's just commotion, and people are looking inside, and they would say, oh, this is all the people that got saved that were actually a part of these other style churches, different from ours, and we're shocked because they just trusted in Jesus. And then we go through all the rooms, and we get to the last room, and we say, we got to keep that door closed. And it's somber, it's quiet. And they say, they, they open up that room and say, that's the Baptist. They think they're all by themselves here. And isn't that sad? The fact that we think that we're the only ones going to be in heaven. Now, I don't say that that's what we think, but the joke went on to say more stuff. But it's an eye-opener because we realize how narrow viewer, how narrow viewed we are of the gospel. we got to continue. This is going great. I hope you're enjoying it thus far. We're only at verse 14. Let's get into verse 15. Uh, Paul says in verse 15, uh, uh, you can read it here as we kind of read it earlier. Uh, we are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. So God did not have fellowship with you, Peter, because of your culture. In fact, your culture, verse 16, uh, was generally good, not like the sinners of the Gentiles. But even though that you were good, that your race had nothing to do with your goodness towards God, and that God did not, uh, you did not earn your fellowship on your base of your race or your culture. That's 14, 15, and 16 in a circular reasoning right there. So Peter was in a good race. He was in a good culture. But because he was in a good culture, that's not what bottom acceptance with God. Verse 14 is what we just read. And the fact that uh, it just because you were a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, Peter or Paul is saying to them, we who have been a, a Jew our whole life, can't even live this way. We fall short. So why are we trying to make the Gentiles uh, live this way and turn them? So Paul treated Peter with the uh, and Paul treated Peter when he's reprimanding him. He treated him in the gospel way, not in the guilt way. And now this is easier said and heard than realizing that wow, do I guilt people? when they are in, in wrong, in sin. Now, we are supposed to encourage people to live holy lives, but do I encourage them by the gospel, or do I encourage them by guilt? And there's a difference there. Paul didn't use guilt. Paul used the gospel. He used love and what God did for us. And so easy times, we mentioned some stereotypes earlier, but it's so easy to become self-righteous and not to share that same grace that took us for me, 31 years, but I want to I hold on to it and not give that same long grace in someone else's life because I feel like they need to get where they need to be and I need to move them along. But let's make sure we extend that same grace that God has given to us to other people. So if Peter, if Peter needed to learn all of this, the gospel and walking in line with the gospel, how much more 
do we need to understand and look at this? Guys, it's decision time right now. 7.59. You know what my dad said? If your sign of working is if you don't take off your jacket, you're not working. Well, Dad, we're working tonight, bless God. Here we go, guys. We're getting right with it. 16B, we're going to go for it. We're going to give it all we got, but hope the Holy Spirit continues it. So 16B, even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Knowing that a man, that is the general idea of a man. That's anthropology. That's man, woman. That's any culture, any race. And then that says that any man shall no wise, no flesh. That is the fact that there is no one better. There is no one supreme. There is no one race that is just the superior one. We are all man that we cannot live. Uh, we uh, verse The end of that, that we for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We need the grace of God. And not just Bible Baptist Church, not just Marysville. That's our, that's, that's our beloved United States, but that's also the thousands of countries outside of the United States. That's every single person alive born today. Definition from, uh, from J.I. Packer of justification. A judicial act. Oh, guys, this is going to get real good here. Get ready. A, now, this quote is, we've we got to get this quote out of the way just to get into what's good. A judicial act of God pardoning a sinner, wicked and ungodly persons. Uh, that's Romans and 3 right there. Accepting them as just and so putting permanently right their previous estranged relationship with himself. You can read the rest. What I like about that statement is it's the fact that God pardons uh, a, a sinner. You might have seen on, on news or when a president pardons somebody, there's a unique civil justice uh, scenario happening right there. Justification impacts us differently when we stop to think that God has pardoned us. When we reduce, uh, when we reduce sin in our lives by thinking it nothing more than behavior uh, we, and, or even trivial, that's when we don't realize the, the, the extreme uh, ma magnification of what justification is. It's when we look at our sin as trivial or as just simply small. And some, so, so oftentimes we reduce sin. I uh, mentioned it just this morning in, in staff devotions. But we look at our, 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 our Catholic uh, people down the street there, the good uh, neighbors down the road. And you know what? We say, well, uh, the problem is they don't truly believe that they are sinners. But then I look at that. We almost have the doctrine in our head. We know that we are saved by grace. But somehow, sooner or later, we turn practically and then begin to think that now practically after I'm saved by grace, now I need to work for you name it, for God's approval, for man's approval. We need to work and just, uh, we called it uh, saved by grace, but growing by grit. It's what I got to do to grow more for the Lord. It's I got to stay in this thing nonstop. I got to pray five minutes more today. And you should, but it's that fact that you're doing it all on your own. And when we, we, when we reduce our sin to just being trivial, liken it to a disease. You know, we know cancer is the worst disease that we can have uh, in society today. There's no cure. It just kills. It's a war path on its way to destruction. But we look at sin, and as bad as cancer is, sin is far times more than that. We look at our sin as the equivalent of a runny nose. Though I am a sinner, 
I'm not that bad. I mean, after all, I'm a decent person. I'm, I know that I need my sin resolved because I need to go to heaven. I need Jesus to forgive me. But how do we view our sin? When we view our sin as just something light or something that is just uh, you know, a runny nose, a cough, an inconvenience that just hurt God for a day, man, we're missing so much the fact that God has pardoned us. Sin, we need to treat it like it's an eternal cosmic cancer on a warpath after every human that has ever lived and ever will live. It's worse than any plague, any war, any pandemic, any Middle East unrest. It's worth, worse than any nuclear explosion. It's worse than any holocaust, a thousand holocausts, a thousand of all what's happening right now. Sin is 20 billion times more worse than all of that. And only then when we think of sin as that evil, that wrong, that wicked, even then, we barely scratch the surface of how bad sin truly is. So we comprehend the magnitude of the devastation of what sin is. And then listen to this. The magnitude of Jesus becoming sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made. That's that justification. The righteousness of God. Only when we realize how evil, how bad, how cosmic... Uh, eternal cancerous sin is, then we truly have gratefulness of God pardoning us. We're going to probably just stop right there. Oh man, there's some good stuff. Uh, but anyways, it's 8.04 right now. We don't want to go too long. I know it's a Wednesday night. We're good. We'll, we'll finish this one off. And as I look at some stuff, man, uh, just realizing that that justification, what God has done for us. We haven't even got to verse 20 yet. Uh, that's a great verse. I even enjoy verse 19. Uh, read throughout these verses here. Ask God to help us truly view sin, truly view justification, truly view Jesus' goodness, His righteousness. Truly view that with the right lens. View that in the lens that is in line with the gospel, because it's only when we have that view of the gospel that we do live that, if I could say that, that Paul lifestyle, that we do live uh, that dedication for the Lord. And we're, you look at Paul's life, he was a slave, he was a servant uh, to the law. And we're, we're going verse by verse on this thing, but man, it opens up, you look at Galatians 3, 5, and 6, when we get to there, it's going to be awesome. So right now we're kind of really uh, looking a little bit more heavy into grace. I say we are, we're just following the verse, verse of the Bible verse by verse. That's what Paul laid out, that's what God laid out, and that's what we're going through. Uh, but as we continue, we're, we've left off right there, but let's not reduce our sin. Let's not look at us as not that bad of Christians because when we do that, we underestimate God's pardoning in our life. And we'll continue. We'll pick this up uh, later on. Lord, we thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your goodness. Help us, Lord Peter, uh, though he did so many things right. And it's easy to look at people like this, Lord. I look at my own life and I could be so many examples. I pray, Lord, that we would have a love for all people. I pray that we never would snub nose uh, to anyone, Lord, whether it be their personality, especially their culture, Lord, or something that they can't even choose, Lord. But I pray uh, that you would help us to love people uh, through the lens of the gospel, that we would walk in line, that we would uh, be, Lord, truly your servants, and we would have happiness, that we would please you with our life, with our heart. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just would guide us, that you would help us, 
Uh, Lord, please just uh, enlighten us through your word, Lord. As pastors have been going through Revelation, we pray that you would open up scriptures to us, Lord. I thank you for opening up the scripture through Galatian to me. I pray for your people as they, uh, as they study on their own, as they read, as they listen to church services. I pray that you just would move them, Lord. May the gospel move them in, uh, in their life uh, to be a better witness, to live a better life, Lord, to live a redeemed life, to live a life that is truly pardoned, a life that is free from guilt, that is free from shame, and a life that we can truly be victorious and that we can live unto you and that we can live uh, because of that, Lord. We can only live like that because we are in Christ. And we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Christ we pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc4me.org. May God bless you.